today on Ag News Daily. A film director out of Tennessee named Marshall Burnett uh, heard an NPR story about a tragic grain entrapment incident in Mount Carroll, Illinois. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, are you heading to Farm Progress Show next week? Oh my gosh, is that next week already? I know, it's crazy, huh? Shoot, um, I I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I had planned on it, but I kind of didn't think it was next week, so yeah. you caught me by surprise, Delaney Howell. Well, I will not be going. I have to go to Washington, D.C. for my cousin's wedding. Oh, well, that sounds awful. <laughs> hey, he listens to the podcast. No, Don't say I that. Mean, that sounds magical. Congratulations <laughs> to your cousin in all seriousness. Yeah, it's a little strange to think he's getting married, but that's okay. All right. Well, I tell you what, you mentioned that it is fry yay. And of course, mm-hmm. it is us. Uh, every day is a yay day. Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, et cetera. They just don't quite have but the same t- ring as fry yay. No, they don't. And in fact, today is not much of a fry yay Delaney Howell because we had some more trade news yes. in the world of trade and yes, agriculture. Fill us in. And everything else. It's all down. Everything is yeah. terrible. So basically, folks, we got word earlier today from China that they are going to put retaliatory tariffs on as anticipated. Um, due to the tariffs that went into effect on or are planning to go into effect on September 1st, China announced they're going to raise tariffs between 10 and 15 percent on a little more than 5000 different products, including soybeans, crude oil, pork and interestingly enough, small aircraft, which at first I thought was a weird thing to include on the list. And then I remembered, oh, my, where are a lot of small aircraft built? the state of Kansas, a state that voted for President Trump. So that is why they are sticking tariffs on Cessnas and so forth. Um, Basically, China also said they're going to reinstitute tariffs on cars and auto parts originating from the U.S. The trade war is stepping up to its next level. And then this was followed by a tweet from President Trump where he ordered U.S. companies to begin looking at other places to um, build their products, including Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. In fact, Mm -hmm. this was his tweet this morning. He said, quote, we don't need China and frankly would be far better off without them. The vast amounts of money made and stolen by China from the United States year after year for decades will and must stop. Our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately Mm. start looking for alternative to China, including bringing your companies home and making your products in the U.S. Now, can he do that? No, okay. he cannot. Uh, we are, despite what say. President Trump might wish, still a free country, and we are free to do business with whom we want, assuming they are not on some sort of a terrorist watch list. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes and what type of actual, legitimate, legal form this tweet finally ends up taking, because while they can't order companies to stop doing business with China. We can certainly start putting specific tariffs on companies. They can certainly look at, you know, raising taxes on companies that are doing business in China. And so this has added a substantial amount of risk into the marketplace. Yeah. And I saw him, I don't remember if it was a tweet or a White House statement or something else earlier last week, I want to say he threatened specifically Apple to pull out from having Foxconn there in China making their Apple products too. 
Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we can see that he can. We've seen that he can get very specific with some of these uh, some of these charges. That's for sure. Yeah, and so since we're talking on the trade front here, we also had other big news announced just this morning, and that is the specific way that USDA put together this MFP package or 2.0 package. They released their basically calculations and estimates for how they designed the 2019 trade aid program to reflect the damage to specific commodities. They released that methodology. I've kind of skimmed it, but basically it sounds like they used a lot of their information from last year. They based it off of the US or from the EU, from China, Mexico, and Canada, and maybe a couple other countries they factored in as well, but it doesn't really give a lot of specifics. Um, other than they went back and looked at the impact of retaliatory tariffs and other trade barriers going back at least 10 years. Oh, okay. So they've got kind of a track record to play with. Yeah. And they also said they tried to listen to feedback from farmers from last year's program as well as commodity groups a little bit more so than they did last year. All right. And we still got widely divergent payments Mm -hmm. on a per county basis, and we still have people frustrated and dissatisfied with the program. Mm -hmm. And we had some news come out that um, some folks from the Trump administration are worried that he's going to have to put another trade package together in light of today's recent events. Absolutely. I mean, just uh, just today, of course, the markets haven't closed yet while we're, we're having this discussion. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But as of today, pre-close, we've got feeder cattle down, you know, four bucks in the most active traded contract. We've got soybeans down 13 cents yet again, corns down, wheat's up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it's today's trade war battles certainly aren't doing any favors for rural America right alongside with the RFS waivers. Yeah, and I would be interested, too, to see how today's announcement from China impacts the 2020 election. Right, right. And what what impact it could have. Right. Oh, boy. Remains to be seen. Yes, it does. Well, another thing that remains to be seen is exactly how the U.S. Federal Reserve will react to the slowing economy. Uh, reportedly slowing economy, however you want to discuss it. Earlier today, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the uh, Federal Reserve, said that um, he will, quote, act as appropriate to keep the U.S. economy healthy. So hinting that there is certainly the possibility of future rate cuts down the line, but going out of his way to not specify how many or how steep the Fed might be looking to cut rates here in the short term, which was as we talked about yesterday, pretty much expected for him at this uh, conference there in Jackson Hole, but um, still frustrated. Wait, Jackson frustrated. Hole, not Jacksonville? Jackson Hole. Oh, okay. It's a town in Wyoming. Okay. Never heard of it. It's where they go every year. It's a, it's a resort town. It's, mm. it's very pretty. Okay. I believe you. Not too far from Cody, I don't think. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Up in the mountains. Yes. But um, basically... Uh, President Trump, of course, is not thrilled with the uh, the fact that they didn't come out and said they're going to go ahead and cut interest rates. But Jerome Powell said that monetary policy, quote, cannot provide a settled rule book for international trade, end quote. I thought that was an interesting kind of a backhanded swipe at the president and this trade war. And now that Trump you know, really wants to utilize the Fed to keep the economy strong, he's saying, look, monetary policy can't do that in the world of of international trade. 
And although we've seen the trade war continuing on, it, I think there are some indications, well, more indications, I should say, that China is really going to be in this for the long haul. We've seen some recent announcements by the Chinese government that they're rolling out some measurements to ensure sufficient pork supply and to stabilize their rising pork prices. We've seen Chinese consumer inflation rose to a 17-month high last week, partly because of the surging pork prices. But they said on Wednesday that they're going to speed up the distribution of subsidies for pigs cold because of African swine fever in hopes to stabilize their country's pork production and pork supply. Well, now, that strikes me as backwards. So they're going to increase the payout for hogs cold, I think that would accelerate the culling pace, right? Wait, say that again. Didn't you say they're going to increase the price paid for cold hogs? No, they're going to speed up the distribution of subsidies for cold hogs. So speeding well, up so same thing. I'll get my money out. fast. Basically. Right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. But I think that's in hopes that they're able to send that money out quicker I guess this is how I view it, is send that money out quicker in hopes that those folks will repopulate their herds faster. That makes sense, Delaney. Now now I smell what you're stepping Okay, in. thank you. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, all I had really today was that trade news that kind of blindsided the market. Other than that, I am, I'm kind of running a little shy today on this Friday edition. Delaney, do you have any other news for us before we get to the markets? I have just one other piece of news that I saw hit some of the wires yesterday, and that is in regards to WOTUS. A Georgia federal court judge has found that the 2015 WOTUS rule legally is legally deficient um, in saying that the government overstepped their jurisdiction here in trying to implement that rule. All right, which we kind of knew, right. right? I mean, it's just, I guess it's another court system has agreed to the same thing. So I'm not sure if that adds more weight or how that works. Oh, it probably does. Makes it a little heavier like me at Thanksgiving. That's, that's a great, great analogy there. Thanks for that. Well, for those folks heading to the Farm Progress show next week in Decatur, Illinois, there's an exciting new movie that's coming out, a new film coming out that's going to be screened for the first time at Farm Progress show. And to talk about that film, we've got the producer of the film Silo, Samuel Goldberg, on the line with us today. Sam, how are you doing? I'm great, Delaney. How are you? I am fantastic. And... I'm excited. I, I'm unfortunately not going to be at Farm Progress Show this year, but I've been looking through some of the film reviews, the teasers about this movie, Silo, and I'm excited to share it with our listeners today. Sam, would you just give us kind of the big overview of what Silo is about and how you guys got the idea to create this film? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting with you and We've been working on this film for five years now, so uh, launching it at the world's largest outdoor farming event is not what I envisioned from the onset, because when I started working on this film, I didn't even know what Farm Progress Show was. I, I didn't know what a grain entrapment accident was either, and so it's really great, really cool to be doing a unique launch um, in Illinois this year. So um, thanks for having me and uh, for giving me this opportunity. Um, 
in terms of the movie itself, you know, like really any movie, it just started with an idea A film director out of Tennessee named Marshall Burnett uh, heard an NPR story about a tragic Graham and Trapman incident in Mount Carroll, Illinois, where two teenagers passed away and one actually survived a, a pretty harrowing rescue operation. And he, he had grown up in farm country, but never heard about a grain entrapment, uh, nor did he know much about the functionality of grain bins or silos. Uh, and uh, he thought it'd be an interesting idea for a movie, a thrilling drama where somebody gets trapped and there has to be a rescue. Um, and we met Marshall and myself uh, five years ago, as I mentioned, through a mutual friend. I was looking to produce an independent film at a certain budget amount, you know, a small budget. Uh, through family and friends and fundraising and that kind of stuff. And uh, we started working on a script with an amazing writer in New York named Jason Williamson. And over time, as we did more research and development and spoke with farmers and educators and professors and people in agricultural industry and nonprofits, we learned more and more about the space and we learned more and more about how horrible and also how surprisingly frequent grain engulfments and entrapments are. And um, last summer, we spent the entire summer in Kentucky and Iowa shooting a 75-minute drama that takes place over the course of 24 hours in a small farm town, and uh, an 18-year-old boy gets trapped in a bin. And all these people who know each other their entire lives, from his mother to the farmer to his best friend to the volunteer fire chief, have to kind of put aside their differences, unite, and get through a really challenging day to try and get him out alive. And um, it's, yeah, it's a dramatic film. It's a really, I think it's a really beautiful, uh, really touching movie. And, and I hope and think we've done a good job of, you know, authentically portraying um, what it's like to be a farmer today in America and a teenage boy working on a farm like that and the drama that ensues during an accident like this. So you said you mentioned there that it's a drama, but it sounds like you've put in a lot of research and a lot of the legwork to make sure that it's as accurate as possible. Was there a family or a specific story in mind that you tried to replicate this movie around? Or was it just you guys doing all this research and then piecing it together into this specific story? Um, really more the latter, actually. It was a combination of different stories and different research we had done over the years. Uh, it was inspired by that original story in Mount Carroll, but, you know, our movie is very different than that story. We just thought we would do our best to take versions of every character and individual we had researched, whether it be a teenage boy uh, a volunteer fire chief, uh, a farmer who's kind of taking over a farm from his dad, uh, and just just research and interviewed people who had been in those situations and then come up with our own kind of dramatization and fictionalization of that. So, you know, it's funny, you know, often people say something based on a true story. We kind of say that our movie is inspired by a true story, but okay. not really based on any actual events. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so it's debuting on August 27th, Tuesday of the Farm Progress show. Will you be screening the entire film? Will you just be showing some teasers and clips for, from it? Or what's the plan for it? So uh, we will be doing a variety of things inside of our tent. Um, it's lot 2174 at the Farm Progress show. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, starting at 8 a.m., 
we'll be showing and releasing for the first time our trailer for the film every half an hour. So every half an hour all day, we'll be kind of pumping up the volume, getting people to sit down, maybe giving out some popcorn and showing the trailer for the film. Additionally, we're sharing our tent with the Grain Handling Safety Coalition, which is an amazing organization that was founded to educate people about grain entrapment and dangers in grain and farm safety in general. They're an amazing group of people who will be in the tent and they will be doing uh, safety demonstrations throughout the day. Um, and three times a day, each day, we will be doing panel discussions about farm safety, about mental health on the farm, and about the movie and its subject and behind the scenes with farm safety experts, as well as three of the stars of our film who are coming with us to Decatur, uh, Jim Parrick, Jeremy Holm, and Jack DeFalco, um, the three J's. Um, and uh, that will be kind of what we call the run of show. I mean, all day showing the trailer, getting people interested in the movie, answering questions about it, having farm safety demonstrations. And then we kind of have a special event on Wednesday at 3.30, uh, Easton Corbin, the country music singer, actually wrote an original song for our movie. Um, it's called The Only Life I Know, and it's inspired by him watching the film and co-writing a really interesting song about the movie. And uh, he'll be releasing the song and performing it at the hospitality tent in the middle of the Farm Progress show at 3.30 on Wednesday. So that's kind of a special event that we're, we're pretty excited about. And that is going to be so neat. It's it's so cool to see that you've got, you know, what I would consider a couple of bigger name actors. I'm a Jim Parrick fan from House of Cards there <laughs> for uh, some of the folks that have probably seen that. But it's really neat that you were able to use some of these more mainstream folks and, and even have Easton Corbin write you guys a song for the film. I think that's a really big deal. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're, we've gotten very, we've gotten very lucky with this movie. I mean, it seems to be a subject that a lot of people are passionate about. Um, and I think the timing for it, for not the best reasons, honestly, is good. You know, it's, uh, it's a challenging time in agriculture right now. And we're also in a, a fairly divisive cultural atmosphere in America. And so we went, we sought out to make a movie that would be unifying that would, you know, authentically portray people in smaller towns in America. And a lot of people have kind of joined in on what we're doing and become a part of our community because that has, you know, resonated with them. They've really thought that's a good thing. So, you know, we've gotten lucky a lot of the time and then other times, you know, we've just put it out there and people have said, yes. So uh, it's, it's been great. It's been really great. So you're not, viewing or screening the whole movie at Farm Progress Show, but I assume you will be either having it hit the big screen or um, doing some private screenings across the country. Can you tell us a little bit about that release? And then are you guys trying to target specifically rural America or are you also trying to connect with some urban folks to have them also watch this film? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking that. So it's, it's both, both of those things. Um, we are screening the film at a few different film festivals. So we'll be at the Iowa Independent Film Festival at the beginning of September in Northern Iowa. We'll be at the Louisville Film Festival in uh, October in Louisville. We will be at the Edmonton Film Festival in Canada, the Kansas Film Festival, and a few others dotted around the country where people can see the film. 
but we're actually really focused on empowering rural communities to host screenings of the movie themselves. You know, independent film is a really hard game right now. It costs so much money to advertise movies these days because there's so much competition and there's so much kind of noise. Um, and so rather than go out there and put our movie in movie theaters everywhere and just hope people go and see it, we're actually kind of flipping the switch a little bit and we're, we're requesting and asking of people to kind of join in on the community and the communal experience of film viewing and go to our website at silothefilm.com to host a screening themselves. And they can license the film, bring it to their town, bring a group of people together. We've come up with a discussion guide with the Grain Handling Safety Coalition, as well as other professors of agriculture that will come with the film at these screenings. So that it's not just to watch the movie and go home. It's watch the movie, sit, talk about important subjects regarding family, mental health on the farm, farm safety, community. And so it's a little bit of a different film distribution um, business that we're running but we figured the only way we were able to make this movie was with the help of the agricultural community. And so it's great to be able to then lean back into that community to get the movie out into the world. And so it is, it is focused very much on smaller towns, Delaney, but we're definitely going to be headed out towards the cities. But usually movies release in big cities and then make their way into the middle of the country we're doing a little bit the opposite. We're, we're starting in the heartland and then we're moving outwards and building buzz and publicity so that we can then get into bigger theaters in, in cities. Um, you know, I'm from New York and I'm sure we'll do a couple of screenings here. We'll probably do a couple of screenings in California, maybe one or two in Chicago, one in Omaha. Um, but right now we're focused more on having people visit our website, visit our Facebook page and tell us that they want to see the movie and then we'll figure out how to get it to them. That's really neat. I love that. I love that idea of starting with the Heartland first because you're right. It's it's so funny at like hometown movie theaters to wait weeks to get some of the big films into your yeah. theater finally. So that's a really neat idea. Sam, before I let you go, remind us that website again so folks can try hosting a screening on their own. Awesome. Yeah. So the website is silothefilm.com. So the title of the movie Silo and then the T H E film F I L M dot com. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Silo the Film and Instagram at Silo the Film. Uh, and we definitely, even if you can't host a screening yourselves, we'd love to have people reach out to us and connect about the movie, figure out how to get it to their area. You know, there are so few independent films that make their way to some of these theaters that you mentioned. Um, and so we're hoping we can. Yeah, start a little bit of a trend here of getting some great dramas uh, into these areas, starting with the movie about about farming. Um, so, you know, having having a platform like this is so helpful, and I, I'm so appreciative of you, you know, interviewing me and, and giving me this time. It's really really valuable for our film, and and hopefully will you know save lives come harvest season if people are thinking about grain entrapment, thinking about farm safety, maybe being a little bit more thoughtful about some of their actions on the farm during what's sure to be a very busy time of year. Absolutely. Well, it's been really interesting, and I look forward to hopefully seeing a screening here this fall. Sam, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. Well, again, a big thank you to Sam Goldberg there, who, again, is one of the producers for the film that is doing a screening at Farm Progress Show. It's called Silo, in case you didn't catch it there, but... 
folks, if you are going to be at Farm Progress show, Mike maybe maybe might be there. I will not be there, but do check out that screening that they're going to have going on. Absolutely. Grain entrapment is a very serious, serious issue, and we should all be wise to take it far more seriously than I think some of us can when we get in the heat of the moment. Absolutely. Well, speaking of heat of the moment, other than being a fantastic song, if you are in the heat of the moment and needing a podcast to listen to, you can check out all of our past episodes at uh, agnewsdaily.com. That's our new home at the Global Ag Network. Check out our episodes and the episodes of our fellow podcasters talking agriculture and agricultural issues. Or you can always interact with us on social media. Visit us uh, at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and the Gram or Instagram, uh, as the kids call it, maybe. Nobody calls it that, uh, but good try. Nobody calls it the no, Gram? Nope, sorry. Insta. Oh, Insta. All yep. right. Well, that's not as cool. Well, you're not as cool. Word up, Delaney. With that, should we let the people go? <laughs> Let's let them go. Let's let them go.